to one. I got 99 problems, little flip ain't one. Hey, hey, I got 99 problems, little flip ain't one. Welcome back, listeners, to another episode of Bird Bros. Episode number five after week four victory over the Texans, 48-21. I'm back with AD, AV, and Cadis. How y'all fellas doing tonight? What up? What up? Yo, yo. Yes, sir. All right. Like I said, 48-21 win in dominating fashion. Cadiz, what did you see from the Falcons this week that, that was encouraging? Defensively, offensively, special teams, what did you see? over the weekend that, that encouraged you going forward for this team? Well, the biggest thing is I look back, the closest thing I've seen to a game like this was almost the same time last year uh, when we played the Bucks in week three and uh, we blew them out, blew the brakes off of them. And the reason why that game was so special was because we had never really seen a Mike Smith team take it to a team for all four quarters like that, or at least three until it was time to start putting in the backups. Um, a lot of times we would get up to a big lead in the first half and then sort of trail off through the rest of the game, even when the starters were in the game. Uh, so for this to be a, a, the first game where we really jumped out to a big lead like that in the Dan Quinn era and see we kept the foot on their necks the entire game, um, you know, up until like the fourth quarter because we just – kept coming at them. Uh, our defense played miraculous. I mean, we can talk about how trash Ryan Mallett is, but at the same time, he's an NFL quarterback. He was starting for a reason. So as, as horrible as he is, the fact that defense still had to go out there and make plays. And uh, especially when you consider the, the teams we're going up against in the division, the Carolina Panthers struggled with them. Um, you know, the week before, we came out and gave it to them, like, off the bat, so the whole, whole team was out there um, really performing. I really appreciated it. Uh, Brooks Reed really came back from injury. Um, he made a couple of plays, getting his feet back wet. Uh, Justin Durant, unfortunately, got injured. Um, but uh, Joplo Bartu came back, you know, one of the fan favorites from years before, as well as uh, Nathan Stupar stepped up, as well as uh, Robinson Therese stepped in for Ricardo Allen. So to see the depth we had, um, you know, next man up. Anybody gets hurt, it's the next man up. And for us to keep bringing guys up, making plays, for us to keep our foot on their necks the entire game, and for us to actually, you know, dominate on offense with Julio only getting four catches for 38 yards, um, all around, like, you couldn't ask for more out of a football game for us. Oh, yeah, man. That was a treat to watch. In years past, we'd have thought, man, we might, we're probably going to blow this lead. We said that multiple times this season, but – that was dominating. That was that was wonderful. AD, you've been a, you've been only on a Thursday podcast the past couple of weeks, but you're with us for our Tuesday night broadcast. Give me your thoughts on the game, man. I mean, it, that was everything I wanted to see. That you know, I felt like coming into it, this was an opportunity at home to really blow doors on somebody. So it went past my expectations. Um, to me, it was interesting. One, you clearly see when they tackle better, they're getting people in third and longs getting people off the field. But the other thing that I noticed, um, the secondary, you know, Dereezy is not afraid to put his helmet on somebody. Uh, he got a little wobbly out there at times. But Alford and Trufant, were get, they were on guys, and they were getting the benefit. You know, I'm not trying to compare them to Seattle, but they were they were all over those guys. They were right on that edge of P.I., um, but they were getting the benefit of the doubt from the, um, from the referees. So it was good to see that, and um, it just speaks to the coaching that's been done so far. 
Cool, cool, cool. All right. Now, A.V., last but not least, give me your thoughts on this 48-21 victory over Houston. I mean, kind of like what everybody's been saying, it was a dominant effort. I think when you look at the formula for success for the Falcons this year, has been offense, you know, top five offense in the league, number four total offense. Um, the Falcons can score with anybody any way that you want to do it. Right now we're able to run. You see Devontae, um, Devontae Freeman, excuse me, um, want to <laughs> mix those two together. Devontae has been awesome running the ball and catching the ball lately, so you see how he's continued to progress. Uh, Matt Ryan spreading it out, you know, even though Julio was covered and, you know, they were bracketing him and they were putting people over the top. He was still able to find Leonard Hankerson and get him a 100-yard game. And really just the fact that the team is ball hawks now. I mean, the Falcons are number two in the league uh, with takeaways and plus minus or plus six on the year. And you saw a lot of that in the game, you know, to end the game with uh, Matt Stupar. You saw it with, um, with Trufant, him getting an opportunity to get his hands on some fumbles and even score off of one. So they're playing, like Dan Quinn says, fast and physical, but they're also able to make those plays with turnovers. And that's what they're winning with. This isn't going to be a dominating defense this year, but they're going to have to be opportunistic. And that's what you're seeing this year. Yeah, that opportunistic defense, like you said, picked up a couple fumbles. They were all over. All in the backfield, you know, we held Arian Foster to 10 yards on eight carries. And I don't I don't know if you can say he's just coming back from injury or what, but, you know, shout out to that Texans offensive lineman who knocked the ball out of Foster's hand on that fumble. Because, hey, Trufant picked that up and took it to the house. Uh, now, I mean, I want to talk about Devontae Freeman some more because, once again, he, he stepped up and played big, three touchdowns and – only had a 68 yards this week, but he sat a lot of the second half. Cadis, man, give me some words on Devontae, his his resurgence, and I guess not even resurgence because he really hasn't done much in his short tenure, but these past two weeks, man, what do you think about Devontae Freeman? Man, Devontae, showed, he showed this week that it's not a not a fluke. We have seen running backs for, for basically every team in the league but us have these random 150-yard rushing days and then disappear, you know, the Sam Congados and the and the I don't I can't even remember all the other ones, the the one hit ones of the world. Uh but you know, Devontae followed up a three touchdown game with another three touchdown game. Even though he only had uh, I believe it was sixty eight yards, he still put up almost five yards a carry. Um, so it was just a matter of him not getting as many carries as he did in weeks past, but he was still able to put those yards up on the board. Um, in addition to that, he's about the best receiving running back out of the backfield we've had as far back as I can remember. I know that sounds like a bit of a, you know, spur of the moment hyperbole, but I'm looking back and, you know, me being a fan, really paying attention since like 98, 99, Jamal Anderson wasn't catching like that. Um, Ward Dunn was able to catch out the backfield, but I don't really remember him making as many as many plays like that. Um, you know, Jarius Norwood would be nice on a screen or, you know, even Anton Smith on, on screen plays. But, you know, those would just be screens. They weren't out running routes. And then uh, Jason Snelling was, had nice hands out the backfield, but he had no explosion with it. Um, so to see Freeman really looking like, you know, the best receiving running back that I can really remember. I mean, if somebody, you know, wants to put, pose an argument for somebody else, be my guest. But that component of the offense is what makes it the most dangerous because when Matt's going through those progressions, as, you know, we'll get to a little bit later, talking about the progressions of the system. But 
you know, he'll look for the receivers and then he has to dump it off. He has to check it down. That's the part of the reason why our line has been rated so good is because Matt's doing a good job getting the ball out of his hands. And Devontae Freeman has been responsible for a lot of that because even before he went on this um run for these last couple of games, he was catching balls out the backfield in the first two games as well. Um, so for us to really have that reliable check down unit, um, not only is the impact on the stat sheet showing that, you know, Devontae is our second uh, highest contributor to Julio, but really that impact in knowing you'll be able to get consistent yards on the ground and in the checkdown game um, really shows he's he's definitely our number two weapon on offense right now. So AD with Freeman doing so well, Coleman should be back soon. How do you see his role progressing as we move forward? I mean, I think they still go back to the to the tandem system at the end of the day. Um, there's still two different types of backs. Um, you know, and I think they still want to get – they brought him in here for a reason. Um, and I think the interesting part now is now that they've got what seems to be the offensive line kind of settled, they understand the scheme and everything, you know, is Coleman going to break one for 80, break one, you know, for 70, break one for 50, something along those lines? Because if you look at the holes that Devontae is getting, um, you know, take nothing away from him, but Coleman has probably got a little bit quicker step. So, um, I think they play both, and they just continue to keep defenses, you know, kind of guessing on what they're going to do with them. Yeah, yeah, definitely good to have that versatility and have a couple guys you can go to. And now even a third guy, I mean, it was definitely a blowout, so probably didn't always see the other team's best defenders. But A.V., Teron Ward stepped up, scored his first career touchdown, had 72 yards on the ground. What did you see from him? We didn't see much of him. We saw some of him in, in the preseason, actually, but – you know, he had a couple snaps last week against the Cowboys, but he came on big to spell Freeman late in the game. What do you think about uh, Teron Ward, the rookie out of Oregon State? I mean, it's it's awesome to see that the Falcons, you know, it, it kind of like we could just plug whoever we wanted to plug in at that point, and they were going to get yards. I talked about it a little bit during the game thread. Um, it was nice to see the Falcons be able to impose their will as opposed to having the try to just come back and just hope and maybe have a chance. They were able to say, you know what, no fourth quarter comebacks. We're going to put somebody in there. They're going to run the ball. They're going to get a first down. They're going to get another first down. They're going to score a touchdown, and there's nothing you can do to stop it. You know, Teron Ward looked good um, in mop-up duty. And I think when we get Coleman back in there, I think, like we said, we're going to have a dynamic one-two punch, no matter who you have as one or two. Um, and now that you got Teron Ward in there, I think he's going to be another key factor for us to contribute. Um, but I think it really just goes back to the offensive line. I know we uh, it was very much maligned and under fire come the preseason, but the way they put it together, I mean, I think one of us could get back there and, and probably break out four or five yard run away the guys are looking up front. <laughs> so um, they're, they're looking pretty good right now, but Teron Ward I think is definitely, um, definitely a keeper as far as somebody we were able to get undrafted. Yeah, definitely a good pickup. We we lose one Oregon State running back in Jaquiz Rogers, and we pick up another one in Ward this year. Now, you know, we talked about the game a little bit, but the big news, three weeks in a row, he did get two catches uh, this past uh, on Sunday, but, but we talking about Roddy White. Now, there's been a couple of articles that came out saying he was not really feeling his role, basically being uh, dropping down to a number two, a number three type. Now there was a, he has a segment on on Sirius XM called Going Deep with Roddy White, where it's a fantasy football segment. I didn't even know it existed until today when he kind of talked about it a little bit. I know Kate has brought it to our attention. So 
So, Kate, just go ahead and break that down. Uh, who Roddy White talked about he wasn't really feeling his roles. He said sorry for, to his fantasy owners and everything like that. What do you think about Roddy's comments? Well, um, you know, with Roddy's comments, man, Trent was saying last week trying to give him, like, this diva persona, and I was I was defending him. And these comments, are, it's, they, they're hard to defend on one hand because at the end of the day, we are 4-0, you know, we are winning, and, you know, we would not want to rock the boat, so to speak. But on the other hand, Roddy was, you know, he's always been one to speak his mind. And when you really look at what he's saying, he's not saying anything wrong per se. What he's basically alluding to is, you know, the way the system, you know, Mike Shanahan's brought up, like I was saying earlier with the progressions. You know, Julio's gets so many targets because he's the number one read. So, you know, Matt Ryan's still learning this offense. So Matt Ryan is, has been executing this offense by the book, so to speak. He was able to, you know, in years past, come up and run the no huddle and throw it to whoever he wants to and all of this other stuff because he was so comfortable running the offense after running it for a couple years. But Shanahan comes in with a, with a very sophisticated offense that he's still learning, so he's really going step by step. So in going step by step, Roddy, uh, Julio's the first option. A lot of times, Hankerson might be the second option, and Roddy would be the third option, but the time is telling Matt to go ahead and check it down. That's why we see Devontae Freeman get so many care, uh, catches. Um, so with that, you know, basically Roddy's just saying he wants to be that second option. If the ball goes to Julio, he's fine with that because Julio's going to be the number one target. But it's not as if Roddy, you know, everybody wants to contribute this to Roddy losing a step. Everybody wants to contribute this to, um, you know, Roddy not being on his game and everything like that. Or, But really it, it comes down to, the progression system. And Roddy just wants to be a bigger part of the offense. And after the years he's put in, being the greatest Falcon receiver, um, there's been to this point, you know, on paper, he's been better than Julio over the course of his career just simply because of the time he's put in with us. Um, you know, Julio eventually will take that number one spot. But for right now and for the rest of time, Roddy's always got to have that respect as a Falcons legend. And I really feel like he has more to contribute um, to this team than he's shown so far. So while, you know, I would rather not him rock the boat, so to speak, at the same time, I'm not mad because at least this gets people talking about that. Nobody wants to give us our due. This will get people at least talking about the fact that, you know, we out here and we doing something. Let's take a quick second and listen to that clip from, this is Roddy White, Sirius XM, talking about his uh, recent production or lack thereof. We'll take a listen to that. It's the first time in my career I've, I've ever went through a situation like this, really. It's like um, it's a difficult situation because it's like we call plays and really I'm like I'm not on I'm not really in the progression of the play. Gotcha. And if you're not in the progression of the play, it's hard for you to get as many catches as I used to get, you know, because I was one, two or even a third read in the play. So but, um, you know, it's, it is what it is. I have to accept my role on the team and uh you know, if I've, I've done that, you know, it's not a pride mm -hmm. issue with me or anything like that, you know, whatsoever, you know, and, um, you know, I'm not just disgruntled athlete that's rocking around, throw me the ball. Yeah. Uh, you know, that's just not my character. You know, I've been around here and um, for 11 years, this is my 11th year with the Falcons. So, you know, I've been the guy that caught all the balls, you know, and I know this is Julio's team, but, you know, at that point, I, 
I've I've understood that for the last two three years. You know mm-hmm. that he's been, he's gonna come along. He's gonna do this. He's gonna do great things in the league, and which that's what I want him to do. Yeah. You know, you so don't begrudge never, him at all. <laughs> it's never been. So we just listened to the clip of Roddy White on Sirius XM. Av, you just we heard it. You heard it earlier. What do you think about what Roddy White said? I think it's interesting. You know, me and AD were talking about this um, right before we came on air, and I think it's interesting how you have the first media reports from ESPN, Vaughn McClure, and then you get a sort of a separate, you know, account of things from D-Leg with the AJC. Um, I think the things that we read on on the ESPN, Vaughn McClure, were a lot more uh, incendiary as far as, you know, you read and listen to what he says. He's like, you know, I'm open, but it's not in the progression. Matt's not looking at it, and that's the type of guy he is. He's a one, two, three progression guy. Um, you know, even before that, he said, for me at the day, for me at the end of the day, I want to catch passes. I'm not out here just effing around, just sit around and just effing block people all day. It's not what I want to do. When you parse that out of the full context of the quote, I mean, of the entire body of what he's talking about, it looks pretty bad. And then for him to come back and have a separate statement about, hey, you know, I'm not really trying to rock the boat. I'm here to support the team. Um, it's obvious that there's something there. You know, it's been gnawing at him, and I, I think we've kind of seen that. Right, he's going to go out there and play. He's going to do his job, but I think he clearly kind of sees which way, you know, we've been talking about it, which way it's going with the offense. He's he's being relegated to kind of, you know, that third wide receiver um, role where, yeah, he is in there just to block. So um, it's unfortunate because I think we all love Roddy and have appreciated the you know, what he's done the years he's been with the Falcons. But, you know, I definitely get the frustration. Um, I think maybe they're trying to clean it up a little bit. Maybe somebody like Terry Rubisky, wide receivers coach, got in his ear like, hey, you know, he even had comments himself kind of saying, you know, Roddy, you know, we don't need you to be, the, you know, driving it. We just need you to add the fuel to the fire and just kind of help push, you know. You know, this is Julio's thing now. So I think, you know, maybe some guys are kind of rallying around Roddy, but trying to kind of, calm him down a little bit too because you can see this is kind of a touchy subject um the fact that it's gone back and forth like this within a matter of hours so yeah it's got to be tough i mean ad think about it as a what he's a wide receiver he doesn't want he's not a tight end he's not a guy that's going to want to block and to have that <clears throat> to be the cornerstone the, the go-to receiver for all these years and now having to be you know damn near a third receiver i mean that's got to suck right yeah, it does, and, you know, you got to look at it from his perspective, too. Um, this clearly doesn't have anything to do with Julio. They've always had, um, from all the reports, a, a big brother, little brother type of situation. Um, you know, I think the friction, you know, I hate to put words in people's mouth, but let's, you know, this is what we all thought about when they brought Hankerson on. Hankerson was in Washington with Shanny, Shanny Jr. Um, so it, the writing has been on the wall, Um and it's kind of coming to fruition. So I'm like everybody else. I see this frustration. My thing is I don't see what's going to change. You know, Matt is not, you know, Ice is not going to go from a one, two, three guy to running around back there for 15 seconds like, you know, Aaron Rodgers. That's just not going to change. So the question is, you know, I won't, it's not how's it going to get fixed, but can he live with it for another 12 games at least? Because this is not going to drastically change. It is kind of what it is. Um, and I don't see the coaching staff changing um, what they're going to do just for the sake of placating, you know, Roddy. Yeah, I mean, I, I, w- I would like to see him get a few more targets and catch the ball a little bit more. But 
You know, if it's not in the flow of the offense, there's no reason to, I mean, intentionally try to get Roddy involved like that. But let's let's we've talked a little bit about the last game. Anybody have any final thoughts on wrapping up uh, week four? Well, uh, I definitely want to point out the fact that our starting defense has a five-quarter scoreless streak going, going back to the Cowboys game, shutting them out the whole second half, and then the first three quarters of the Texans game, we shut them out, and the final you know, touchdowns they were able to score were against all backups. It was almost a preseason game for us. So when it comes to our starting defense being on the field, we got a five-quarter scoreless streak going. So, I mean, A.V. said the defense isn't going to be dominant, but I don't know how much more dominant you can ask for than, you know, five quarters of, of scoreless ball. Um, so I definitely think that our defense is on the come up, and that's even, not even 100% yet. Brooks Reed coming back. Uh, Durant just got hurt again. Allen was out. We're not even 100% yet, and we're able to put together a streak like that. Regardless of, you know, Brandon Reed and Ryan, Ryan Mallett, it doesn't matter. Um, these are NFL quarterbacks, and we were able to shut down NFL offenses for over a full game of time. Yeah, that's that says something. We'll see if that can continue on into next week. But we're going to go ahead and switch lanes real quick and hand it off to AD as he takes us around the NFC South. All right, guys. So uh, everybody in action, nobody on the bye week this week. So, you know, the one uh, divisional matchup or uh, South matchup was Carolina versus Tampa Bay. Uh, you know, typical Carolina game, you know, if you look at the, the highlights and the stats, you know, Cam does his thing, but, you know, 124 yards passing, two touchdowns, no turnovers um, from his standpoint. So obviously positives there. And then um, James Whistling, you know, four picks through the pick six to Norman, um, who's having a great year. So um, went pretty much as expected. You know, Carolina, they're playing ugly this year. They're kind of trying to hang around with folks. Um, it'll be interesting to see what happens when they get uh, in front of a team who can put up some points. Um, and kind of really forced Cam to go downfield a little bit more. I mean, you know, 11 for 22, 124 yards, 5.6, you know, per pass. Isn't, it didn't light the world on fire, that's for certain. And then, of course, the Sunday night game, which I still got replaying right now, is coming down to the end of the regulation, uh, Dallas and New Orleans. You know, I don't know what to take away from this. It's kind of like our game with Dallas. They got so many people out. Credit to New Orleans. Um, well, you know what? I'm not going to say credit to him. I'm going to let A.B. handle that in a second. Uh, the one interesting takeaway was that they did catch Spiller on that wheel route, wheel route for 80 yards to end it in uh, OT. So um, now, you know, I got to be honest. If they can get something cooking with him, they'll have a little bit more. Um, I just don't know how well Breeze's arm is going to hold up. You know, he's got 12 more games. And they got to play all these games. And he, he was shaking that arm around quite a bit. Uh, throughout the course of the game. but uh, So that's the look around the NFC South. Falcons still in control of their destiny, obviously 4-0. Um, same with Carolina. Um, so it's a collision course coming down to those last couple of weeks so far. Oh, yeah, yeah. We can't – I can't wait to see the Panthers. I, I hate it's going to be late in the season, but I guess we'll know it'll be for the division and at least a chance at the playoffs for both teams if we both go on the same road. They have a tough test next week against the Seahawks, so. We'll see if they're they're really legit. I think that's the 18th, or is that they have a yeah, bye week? Yeah, they're on a bye this week. They're on a bye. They go to, um, they go to Seattle. Go to Seattle on the 18th, so that'll be good to see. But now my favorite segment is brought to you, brought to us by AV every week. Why the Saints suck? I mean, they won. 
Well, I mean, can we get them some props this week or what? what? What's up with the Saints? Why do they suck? I mean, it's a free country. You can do what you like. I'm going to tell you <laughs> why they suck. <laughs> uh, reason number 2,675 why the Saints suck. Uh, it's a little bit different this week, so y'all just got to stay with me. Um, so why the Saints suck actually isn't a stat as much, much as it is a moment in last in Sunday night's game, um, go to birdbrus.wordpress.com and take a look at this crazy video. If you watch the game Sunday night, Saints were driving late in the fourth quarter and were in field goal range with a chance to kick the game winner. Their kicker, Zach Hocker, misses a 30-yard field goal that would have won the game regulation. But I want y'all to check out the fan in the upper deck. Uh, looks like a Saints fan who, for some reason, exposes his entire belly and chest as Hawker kicks it. No surprise, the ball goes off the left upright and the game went to over went to overtime. So my question for uh, for everyone out there listening and even for my fellow bird bros, did Bellygate distract the kicker? You tell us at birdbros.wordpress.com. Uh, despite the miss, the Saints did win at home in overtime over the Cowboys 26-20 to to get their first win of the season. They're now 1-3. Um, in the division, but that moment right there, I think the guy was actually wearing a hat, was waving one of those little pink pom-poms across his belly. It's, it's a crazy visual. So, uh, yeah, definitely go to birdbrus.wordpress.com. Check the video out. You tell us, do you think that that distracted, uh, distracted their kicker? Because he looked a little flustered after he missed the field goal. I think it was more than that. I think he saw that belly and got a little, uh, <laughs> got a little distracted. So, uh, that's reason number 2,675, why the Saints suck. Man, I, I don't know. I might – I don't know if y'all remember that game when Garrett Hartley missed an easy one against us. They just just might be that bad. The belly – I guess the belly is a good a good reason to say why he missed it. But <laughs> I've mean, seen him shank some easy field goals. I mean, thinking back to that John Carney play back, back in like 01 or 02 when they – made a crazy lateral to even score a touchdown, and John Carney missed an extra point. So, you know, the yeah. Saints have known ineptitude for years, and I don't care if they have a Super Bowl ring. They still they still suck. We don't have any love for the gumbo sippers. We don't have any love. Still None. Some bums. <laughs> it's still some bums. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So let's head into the preview of next week's game, or this coming Sunday's game against uh, Washington. Washington is coming off a win over Philly, a team that we also beat. So I, I'm looking at Washington. I've seen a few games here and there and not too worried about Kirk Cousins, but they have a pretty decent running game with Alfred Morris and Chris Thompson and Matt Jones also do some things. But I'm particularly worried about Pierre Garçon. I don't know the specifics of where he lines up or where he where they'll put him on the field, but hopefully we put Trufant on him to lock him down. Cadis, uh, what do you see in this matchup coming up with uh, Washington? On Sunday. Well, let's see the uh, Washington game. It's almost a, a repeat of the last two weeks where we have a quarterback that needs to be playing from ahead and needs the rest of his team to, you know, work with them, which uh, looks like it might be a, the theme of our season. We have a relatively easy schedule and not too many good quarterbacks we're going to be going up against. But with that being said, Kirk Cousins, he did come out and lead the uh, Redskins to victory uh, this past Sunday. Um, with their offense, if he's if that running game gets going, and like you said, they got Garcon outside, they got uh, their tight end Jordan Reed. He's you know I believe he's going through concussion protocol, but he might be available. He's a def definitely a dangerous weapon. 
Um, so on offense, it's really just a matter of us doing what we did um, from the second half of the Dallas game on, which is stopping the run, um, putting pressure, putting guys back in their face, and everybody stick back to their man. Um, you may mention of, you know, hoping that Trufant was on Garcon most of the game, but Robert Alford is, you know, as much maligned as he's been over these past couple of years. Right now, he's ranked uh, number seven corner in the league as far as targets, to, uh, you know, per per uh, completions, per pass, uh, per quarterback. So Trufant's number one, um, and Alford's number seven. Uh, Trufant's averaging only like one catch allowed every 43 passes or so from a quarterback, and then Trufant's averaging only like one per like 17. Um, so really, when it comes to our pass defense, it's on our linebackers um, to make some plays. So our quarterbacks on both sides have got it locked down. Um, so I'm not really worried about the outside threats. Like I said, Jordan Reed, their tight end, as well as, you know, Morris and Jones coming out the backfield. It's really going to be all about our linebackers uh, with Brooks Reed coming back from injury as well as Durant fighting off the injury. I see, I'm still not sure if he's going to be playing this week. Um, so we might have Stupar or Bartu in there. Um, so it's definitely going to be tackling is going to be a number one thing where we got to handle. Um, and then on, on defense, they have an excellent pass rush. Um, that last drive, Philly was trying to drive down the field, and Bradford got sacked like two or three times in a row. Like, they weren't they weren't playing that. So between Kerrigan and Murphy, um, you know, Murphy definitely stepped in for Rockpo um, and, and bringing them a nice hard blitz from both sides. So it's going to be on our offensive line to take care of that. Uh, but, you know, those are just the key points. And I feel like if we handle that, it'll be just a repeat of these last couple of games we've had. Cool. So, A.D., what are your key points for the game? Well, I watched the highlights this afternoon, and, you know, it was interesting, you know, from a defensive standpoint. Um, Philly couldn't get anything cooking early on, and then they started hitting several things deep. Um, you know, they hit uh, too long, either a skinny post or post routes in some degree. So, Culliver was kind of out there, kind of lame duck limping around. They got him a couple times. So I think it's plays to be made downfield. Um, if we're being honest about it, I don't know that they have anybody who can match up with them. So this might be the game. If we go back to Roddy, this could be a game where, depending on how they want to defend number 11, that Roddy's got some more opportunities. And then, of course, Hankerson's probably already set um, in that regard. So, um, you know, offensively, they, they spread it around quite a bit. I know everybody talks about their running game, but they got four or five guys that they got you know, involved and converted a lot of big third downs, especially with Crowder. Um, it'll be interesting to see where Reed is. Um, so it, it's like everything with this team. Um, it's going to come down to tackling. Like I said, they they converted quite a few third downs where they were in three and four wide receiver sets. Um, and Cousin was getting the ball out quick, and then those guys were making plays to get, you know, those first downs. So um, tackling is going to be a key again this week in my mind. Okay, so A.V., A.D. mentioned the tackling defense. Uh, what do you know about the Redskins, and what do you think? Where do we get? Where can we exploit them, and get this W, man? I mean, I think you look at the Redskins. You know, even in their two losses, you know, they had the home loss to the Dolphins, start the season, uh, went on a road loss to the Giants. They kept it somewhat competitive, but got out, got away from them late in the game. Um, it's it's going to come back. It's going to come down to what we're able to do against Kirk Cousins. He's gotten some confidence these last couple of weeks, especially. Um, that come from behind victory at home against the Eagles. Uh, you know, I think we're just going to have to, you know, just like we did against the Texans, impose our will. You know, the Redskins are no slouch on defense. They're one of the top-ranked defenses in the league, um, one of the top-ranked rush defenses in the league. So it'll be interesting to see if we're able to open up the same holes against 
their rush defense like we've been able to open up holes, you know, against some of these other teams recently. But um, I think this is just a game where if you're the Falcons, you're at home, you're the better team, you got to put these guys away. You got to come out aggressive and go for them early. Um, I think the Falcons have definitely shown that they're willing to go for early, especially at home. You know, we got out to a great start against the Eagles to start the season. Obviously, last week, getting up 42 nothing through three quarters. So when this team is in the Georgia Dome, um, they typically play a lot better, especially under Matt Ryan. So I would expect for us to be able to come out, get an early lead, get some tempo. Um, and then, play, I mean, Kirk Cousins, he's made some plays, but he's not an elite-level quarterback. And I do think even with his newfound confidence, you know, the Falcons should still be able to exploit some matchups, especially uh, in the secondary. So, you know, I, I think that this is going to be an interesting game. I don't think it'll be a rollover because Washington has kept their games pretty competitive. But um, I think this will be the same type of vibe where the Falcons are able to get up early, you know, Washington will hang around and still pull, be able to pull out a win. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I want to see another W. Five and O will be good. I've heard a lot of people say we can go eight and O, nine and O, but of course the game is played on the field. Uh, Kate, did you got any other points for the game? Um, I just really think that uh, it's going to come down to our running game. Um, the one thing I, on one hand, I want to buy in, but I'm trying. I'm trying as a fan as well as a you know analyst of it with, with the bird, bro. It's not trying to be too much of a homer because on one hand I feel like we're rolling I feel like we could really come out here and repeat what we did against the Texans relatively easily like you know as far as the turnovers and everything it might not be as many turnovers as we were able to pull off um, against the Texans but I really think we could come out here and dominate but on the other hand looking at it I'm trying to look at it objectively across the board. It's really going to come down to the running game. So I see, um, you know, Alfred Morris, Matt Jones, they're able to get the ball going and help Washington control the clock some. That might slow down our offense from scoring as many points um, as we've been putting up lately. So I'll, I'll be conservative. I'll try to be conservative. Uh, I'll say I see this as being like a 27-14 type game. All right, 27-14. You got a prediction, A.V.? Yeah, I mean, I think, uh, just like Kata said, I, I think this is going to be um, – it's going to be a game that's about ball control. I think one of the things that have led the Falcons to be so successful is not only their ability to convert third downs at a high rate, um, but it's been about being being balanced. The Falcons can run now. We can pass. We can really do and beat you in a lot of different ways. And I think with Tevin Coleman potentially playing this week, and even if he doesn't, you know, Teron Ward's been was, – was solid down the stretch of uh, last week's game – the Falcons have different ways that they can beat teams. So when I look at this game, I definitely think it'll be about ball control. Um, this is a team, they don't score a whole lot of points. They move the ball, but they don't necessarily get it into the end zone. So we get out to a 10, 13, 14 point lead early. Them playing from behind with Kirk Cousins throwing a lot of passes is not what they want to do. I think we do get out to an early lead. I got the Falcons winning this game. Um, I got us winning 31-21. For uh for Sunday, thirty one twenty one. Ad, give me a couple predictions and score, and any final thoughts on the uh, Sunday's game. Uh, you know I'm gonna go thirty one seventeen. Um, the good guys, you know I I think they're gonna throw it around a little bit. Um, Cousins put it up forty six times last week, and they played most of that game with a lead, which is interesting to me. Um, that they were able to do that, but there's holes there. Um, you know I think. 
it, you know, um, Taby's point, especially with Coleman back, I think we're trying to run it as much as possible. Um, not that we're looking ahead, but they also got a quick turnaround for the Thursday game with, uh, with the uh, team, you know, on that side of the Mississippi over there. So, um, you know, I think, uh, uh, they'll want to not play a conservative, but I think, like always, any win is a good win. No need to, to make it more than it needs to be. So 31 uh, to 17, good guys. All right. So no surprise. We all pick. We all picking the Falcons to win, <laughs> as always, man. We always want to see the good guys win. So we're going to switch topics to a new segment, and we're going to hand it off to Cadis. I mean, Cadis, you always tell us you're not a big fantasy football player, but you know the Falcons. So give any fantasy owners out there two or three guys on the Falcons that may be under the radar that you should probably pick up if you play fantasy or FanDuel or DraftKings or any, anything like that. So, of course, everybody knows pick up Julio and Matt, but are there any guys under the radar who may do some things big uh, offensively for the Falcons this week? Well, I think um, one guy who's been, you know, definitely not under the radar as far as discussion, but, you know, on the field hasn't been seen as much with Roddy. I really think that this game, it's we're, I feel like we're at a point now where we can do what we want to do. So it's like, okay, Roddy, you want to get some catches? Here's some catches. So I really, I really see Roddy getting five-plus catches um, in this game coming up. So I say, I, you know, definitely with him. Um, again, Devontae Freeman, you know, the, the Warriors are getting out on him. He's leading the league in touchdowns right now. Um, so, you know, the word's out on him, but still, I feel like he'd be probably a put up the best stat line, um, out there, even with Coleman coming back, I still see Freeman getting his carries just because, uh, you know, he fits all the roles. He plays all three downs. Uh, right now, Tevin Coleman isn't ready to be that third down back with the pass blocking and the receiving skills. So I see Freeman still getting the majority of the carries and the majority of the snaps. And then uh, definitely the Falcons' defense as a whole. Um, you know, people, the word's getting out on us as well, and people are up and down on us for whatever reasons. But, you know, this last week we were able to get three turnovers. All of them were pretty fluky in their own ways, but we were still able to pull them off as well as a stack. So I think our defense will come out and put up a good game. Like I said, I believe we'll get 14, um, you know, only allow 14 points as well as I, I see at least at least two turnovers coming. I'll, I'll, I'll go on the limb and say another two turnovers coming uh, for our defense. So I would say Roddy, Devontae, Freeman, and uh, the Falcons' defense would be three strong pickups uh, to any of the fantasy football guys out there. All right, I'm, I'll have to check my waiver wire and see if the Falcons' defense. I, I really want to think about picking us up, but, you know, we got a favorable matchup. Don't know what uh, Kirk Cousins is can do. He may throw three picks. I don't think he's that good of a quarterback anyway, so hopefully hopefully they're available. I'll check my leagues and see if he's available. But that'll do it for tonight's show, everybody. Thank you for listening. Remember to subscribe to us on iTunes. Check out the, the website, birdbrus.wordpress.com. You can check that video out that A.V. mentioned earlier. And also follow us on Twitter at birdbrus, B-I-R-D-B-R-E-H-S. Thank you all for listening, and stay tuned later in the week for the Behind the Enemy Lines episode with uh, AD and Trent. Thank you for listening. Have a great night.